This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Your birthday was last week. These guys get you anything? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Bad teammates. Bad teammates. Terrible teammates. Terrible teammates, yeah. Holy Jokic talking after he went over Golden State. Uh, living up to the Joker moniker for sure. Taking things uh, very lightly, but not the game in which he went 32-16-16 and 16 as the Nuggets cruised to their win over the Golden State Warriors, especially late. Joining us now to talk about it is our Nuggets reporter for My Life Sports, the host of uh, the podcast, the Alley Hoop podcast, and of course, uh, the, the everything that you see over My Life Sports with uh, Ryan. So Ryan Blackburn joins us as You've heard him many times on this uh, program right here. NBA Blackburn is the handle. And, uh, Ryan, obviously we're talking about a big game against the Kings. Not because it has to do with the tiebreaker, because it doesn't. The Kings have already beaten the Nuggets three times. But the idea of getting swept by a team prior to the playoffs at all, especially when it's a young team that doesn't have a lot to lose like Sacramento does, Giving them the confidence is not helpful. So for the Nuggets, how important is this game really for them when it comes to how they may match up against those Kings? It's interesting. I, I'm not sure I'd put it at like, I'd probably have it like a six or a seven out of 10 in terms of the importance level for heading down the stretch here. But it is one of those psychological things, obviously, that you don't want to give a team like too much headspace in terms of, oh, yeah, we, we know that when we are focused, we can defeat you. We can we can match up with you reasonably well. We will. It, it is funny that Domantas Sabonis, who many people have called like the, a B version of Jokic, how De'Aaron Fox is a Kentucky point guard, and they've got a guy like Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter, which sounds eh, sort of close to the, the way that Denver's 2, 3, and 4 look. I, I think there are some similarities that you can go with between these two teams. And if you give a team like that four games in a matchup four zero, that's, that's never a great thing going into the playoffs. So is it important? Yes. More important than that though, is the psychological thing. Michael Malone is, was the former head coach of the Sacramento Kings. And he was, uh, he was not super pleased at the at practice today. He, he wanted to talk about the Kings matchup and he wanted to make sure that everybody knew how important this game was for Denver. It's interesting uh, your your point about Malone maybe feeling these losses a little more acutely because he coached there, and I, I suppose there's some remnants of that uh, organization uh, that remain, um, although I, I don't know of many that are actually involved in, in basketball ops who are still there, but I, I can see how he would feel about that. And Sacramento, strangely enough, has been one of those teams that's just given the Nuggets more problems than most other teams do uh, over the years. So uh, he's he's felt that sting uh, more often than you might have expected. Uh, probably not a team the Nuggets want to face in the first round. But, boy, is it is it crazy how the standings change? I mean, Sacramento loses a game, and they go from being in fifth place to being in seventh <laughs> with one loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy to try to read it. And the Nuggets win one game, and all of a sudden they're third instead of fourth, and they're 
actually breathing right down Oklahoma City's neck, if not Minnesota's at the moment. The West is a different beast. We talked about this last week. Welcome to the Western Conference, folks, where you you know you're going to have a dogfight pretty much for the entire time. You're never going to get any reprieves. Every single team that you face in the West is going to be dangerous. And it's just not like that in the East all the way up and down. Like there are teams you always have to stay focused for to be clear, but this is a conference where Stephen Curry, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant are currently battling it out in the play-in. Like they're trying to figure out how the heck they're going to avoid that. And that is a crazy, crazy factor. Uh, the teams here are great. And the Kings are one of those teams that obviously goes under the radar. They were under the radar last year, except for that everybody was basically calling them a cute story. Now they are a year into that. Now they, they, they don't look as potent as they did last year, just from an, an anecdotal standpoint, but they are dangerous. And Denver, they're going to need to be fully locked in, and you just don't get any reprieves in the West. It's hard to poke many holes in the Nugget record as as you piece it together. Um, and I, I think we've addressed this before with you, but uh, the current state of affairs is if you take the top 10 teams right now in in the NBA, and I think they're teams that people would acknowledge, you know, pretty much the top 10. It, the standings may not quite conform to that, but I, I think we know how good these teams are, and obviously Denver's one of those top 10 teams. Against the other nine, they're 5-13. and 13. Against the other winning teams in the league, Outside of the top ten, they're thirteen and two. I like thirteen and two. Five and thirteen would worry me a little bit, and it's four and thirteen if you take out Boston. That would right? worry me a little bit. And Sacramento is one of those teams. Zero and three. Oklahoma City's one of those teams. One and three. The Knicks are one of those teams. 0-1. Oh, Orlando's one of those teams. 0-2. Oh, Just would and and a lot some of those teams are Eastern Conference teams. You don't worry about them in the playoffs. But Oklahoma City, Sacramento, they're a combined one and six. Yeah, they could they could face off against those teams in a playoff matchup, and I think that Denver will have their hands full in either matchup. Like just just because could be the first two rounds, right? Maybe you get one in the first round, and if you're able to beat that team, then you get the other one in the second round. As it stands right now, Denver they're in a three-six matchup with the New Orleans Pelicans. Correct. The Pelicans are Correct. basically at the same like they are, they are basically tied with Sacramento. So this thing, like you said, can go any different direction at this stage because the the one through four in the West are so kind of coagulated together and the, the five through eight, same thing. I'm, I'm curious to see how this continues to evolve and if any separation at all is develops between those teams. But uh, to your point, Denver, there are certain teams that they're going to match up better with. Ultimately their talent is going to win out in a playoff series for the most part. And I think that so much of the regular season comes down to how seriously Denver is taking each of those matchups individually. I think about those Kings matchups specifically Second night of a back-to-back in the first two matchups on the road. 
And then the third one, they were on the last game before the All-Star break where they missed uh, Murray and KCP in that matchup. So it is difficult for me to take it too seriously from a, a matchup standpoint or from a record standpoint. But I do think that there are some teams that obviously they will have to battle against for sure. The way the game is adjudicated has been coming up as well, especially post-All-Star game, right? And the idea that uh, at this point you're not running into, you're starting to see some crazy scores, guys that score the 60s or the 70s at a pace we really haven't seen. In the playoffs, we understand that it does go down. We watched the scoring go down last year as well. It's not a monumental drop, but it is a drop. How much of that, sometimes when I, I, I see these these younger teams, I see Minnesota, I see Oklahoma City, I look at it and don't think that they're they're pushovers by any stretch. They deserve to be exactly where they are. At the same time, we do have, and we have for a generation or two, taken a look at teams and say, yeah, but how are they built for the playoffs? The Nuggets are built for the playoffs. Some of these other teams may not be built for the playoffs in the same way. They could be more regular season-styled teams. And, and I do wonder if that's what we're seeing across the league at spots, too. I think it's possible. I, I think that there is there are some of these teams that will be a little bit more well-geared for it. But I think, as, as you mentioned, Denver's probably the best-geared for a leap from the regular season to the playoffs. And also because, like, look, think about how much effort that Denver's had to expend during this regular season versus some of the other teams. I, I don't think that they've really gone all out. Do you like, I, I no. don't I think that this is one of those things that you're going to look back on and say, man, yeah, Denver, they kind of slept locked into 54, 55 wins. Somehow like they, they are just talented enough that they're able to do it. Jokic is yeah. good enough. Well, they I, just I, have a high baseline. Yeah. It just interjected. I thought it did 2019 uh, when they wanted to win every game and Malone was a different coach than the, the one we see now. They, I, I think, if you go back to 2019, when I think they finished second in the conference, but very close to Golden State, which is first that year, I, I I think they were more committed to winning the regular season that year. And, of course, they barely beat San Antonio with home court in the first round and lost with home court to Portland in the second round. Uh, NBA teams that lose with home court advantage generally don't feel very good about it, and it takes them years to recover. And actually, it took the Nuggets three years to recover, <laughs> four years. Yeah, and like to be fair, they also they had the bubble year where they they went to the conference finals. And then yeah, but that I, was I, that that was fluky too, though. They, they're yeah. about three one and two series playing on a neutral court. They never would have come back had there been home court advantage uh, in, in either question. one of those series. They never would have come back, and it, it, think- it, it was it fluky. It never happened again. Uh, that a team comes back from one, three down twice. It won't, it, it, it just won't. Part <laughs> Home of court advantage is too powerful in the playoffs. Don't you think that part of that is, is sort of part of the tale of Jokic and Murray as a duo though? Like just those two guys kind of rising to the occasion where they are like, they, they kind of count, count okay. it out in a lot of those. But situations. I think if you go back and look, they had a losing playoff record in the bubble and overall in the bubble. They played 19 they games. They, 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 they were 9 and 10 in the bubble. I'm just saying. And they had a losing playoff record in the bubble. I'm just saying. And they were down 3-1 in every series they played. That's not a championship team. 
and, and they shouldn't have been expected to be at that no, point. That's no. part of what I'm saying. Right. But I, I, I said you, you, you. I, I think that gave people way, way too much encouragement for the seasons that followed. I disagree, and the reason why is because Denver had a formula that they could tap into, and you add Aaron Gordon against proven that playoff losers. Though, come on. You you do you know that's true. Utah's a proven playoff loser. They went that's why they broke up that team. Because they couldn't win series even with three one leads. The Clippers are infamous for choking in the playoffs. Well, that's true. And they choked again that time too. They've choked many other times. Doc Rivers teams are famous for blowing big. But I, th- I think Ryan's series. right though when you talk about the through line, and I, I get it. I agree with you, with you, Sandy. That it's a little bit fluky in that the bubble. Big run. myth. But the whole bubble was that was they tore flip. the bubble apart, and they didn't. They were nine and ten right. in the bubble. And right. They, had a losing they came through in the clutch. In the they, they played well. But I, I, I think, I, I guess I get, I get where Ryan's saying though. But that's where the genesis for this came from. Where, where especially the two man game came from. Uh, some of the emergence at the time of Michael Porter Jr. started to occur at that point a little bit, and now you see where they've come from there. But but now when you get to this run going into the towards the postseason, one of the biggest challenges, Ryan, is the fact that they are trying to manage injuries. And presumably, and the first and foremost, is Jamal Murray, who's dealing with uh, bilateral tibial soreness, or as we say it colloquially, shin splints. And anybody who's had those, and rec leaguers do, know that they don't go away unless you get off your legs. And Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets cannot afford to do that. What's the plan to try to manage it as best as they can? Because in in the 10 games, uh, pardon me, in the nine games in February, in which Jamal Murray has had 30 or more minutes, they're 5-0. In the four games in which he hasn't been able to get to 30 minutes or hasn't played, they're 1-3. So when when, uh, Murray has been playing, this team wins. And you don't want to obviously get in a spot where you need him to have 30 minutes a night, but at no. the same time, the, the numbers indicate that when he's able to give you a full effort, the Nuggets become very, very hard to beat. How do they find a way to manage this down the stretch of a season, which, yes, they are close to the top, and it's not even out of the realm of possibility they'll catch it, but at the same time, you want to make sure you don't lose ground because it is, as you pointed out, so coagulated atop the Western Conference. Yeah, I think there's they are mostly concerned about his health. They're mostly concerned about KCP's health, although KCP, it's a little bit different. I'm sure that that will improve over time. With Murray, with the the, the injury that he has that is more of a stress-related injury on his legs, he is going to have to manage that. He's going to have to work with the training staff on that and be open and honest about just how much he's putting onto himself right now because he's clearly, like, I, I, I don't know about you guys, I thought at the beginning of the game on Sunday against the Warriors, he looked bad. He looked physically just just not in like not physically there in terms of the athleticism that he needs to provide on a daily on a on a game to game basis in order to be at that level. And then he played through it, and then he figured it out, and then yeah. he toughed it out through the pain. Yeah. And, then that and that's was, the that difference, was, isn't it, with Murray now that 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 you see. Uh, and again, I I, I think. I've always said about Murray, you got to protect him from himself. Because mm-hmm. yeah. and now he does have the capacity to start kind of slow, and then pick up to the point the other night where I thought once again he badly outplayed Steph Curry. 
and it's not the first time. It's not the first time he started slow in a game against Steph Curry's Warriors and then come back. And, of course, you know, we remember the injury took place in San Francisco uh, when times weren't so good. But it seems like just about every time since he came back from the injury, on that court, he's been real good, and he's been pretty good against the Warriors here, too. So it's, it's a bit of a dilemma, isn't it? It, it certainly is. he'll play hurt. He will, and I'm so I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle this back-to-back because he sat out the second night of a back-to-back against Portland last week. Denver's got another back-to-back here, Sacramento and Miami, uh, tomorrow and Thursday. I think that he might sit out one of those games because the next back-to-back that Denver plays after that one is not until April 10th. They'll play April 9th and April 10th, game 79 and 80 of the season. That is the next time Denver, and the only time Denver plays it back-to-back again. So wouldn't surprise me if they rest him on that one. Wouldn't surprise me if they kind of try to, maybe there's a a game on the road that they decide, you know, we're going to try to rest you for this one too. And then they'll just play maintenance as it needs it. And then they'll, they'll try to manage him as best as they can. But He's a grown man. He'll he'll figure it out, and I know that he'll be at, at his best when the playoffs come around too. Uh, but even if it's a pain related thing, like there's very few players that I know that could manage pain better than Murray does. He does a great job of it. Understands how to car- compartmentalize it in a game and plays just as well even without. He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you give him a follow on social at NBA Blackburn, and of course he's those the Alley podcast and at the. Uh... Vanguard of everything that we do right here at Mile High Sports for the Denver Nuggets. Make sure you check out uh, everything that Ryan has putting together for the Nuggets. I think he covers it, quite frankly, as well as anybody in town whatsoever and has for years. So, Ryan, always good to, to talk to you. Appreciate it. Obviously, we'll find out what happens tomorrow night, and it will be a fascinating next couple of weeks. You're right, as the, as the Nuggets have to find a way to manage that injury because this is one of those teams that uh, the eyes on the prize, and the prize is something that was unthinkable just a handful of years ago, not just a title, but repeating. So we want to make sure you give Ryan a follow at NBA Blackburn for all the latest. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks, Bill. Good to hear from you. All right. Always good to talk to Ryan Blackburn about that. Of course, that game tomorrow, the Nuggets will take on the Kings. That'll be a 7 p.m. tip tomorrow. Of course, you can catch that on altitude, presuming that's the place where you can get altitude. That's another story. But nevertheless, the game will tip off at 7 The Denver Broncos are now out at the NFL scouting combine doing their thing with taking a look at different quarterbacks and other positions that they need to take a peek at. But after Sean Payton talked about the next one, the next quarterback, and talked about some of the qualities they're looking for, the Broncos now have a limited number of ways in which they could upgrade the position. We'll take a look at what those are and what the most likely occurrences are to be next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, you heard the man at Superbook. We're changing the game. You can win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name 
in sports gambling with the direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sandy, we know that Russell Wilson will not be the Denver Broncos quarterback last year. We've known that since he was benched with a couple of games remaining in the season. Today, out in Indianapolis with the scouting combine underway, Sean Payton made sure to talk about the next one, referring to the quarterback, and and these are the real options. The one to, to step away from, of course, is let's stop with the nonsense that the Broncos would keep Russell Wilson. Could they keep Russell Wilson? Of course they could, but they won't. And so that means they have some decisions of what they'll have to do. And even though George Payton said this would be extreme to cut Russell Wilson, that's the reality. The Broncos could spread it over a couple years. Either way, you're talking about the biggest dead cap hit in history. It would be more than double Matt Ryan's, which is the largest in history, were the Broncos to take it in a year. Or it would still be larger than Matt Ryan's, and then another one of $39 million if they were to take it the next year. So there isn't a quick fix there. I, I've said consistently, really, and I, I said that since last July, I'm looking at the notes, that if the Broncos wanted to move away from Russell Wilson, that the best way to do that was to go ahead and take it all in one year because they're not really a competitive team at this point, and they almost certainly won't be. Sandy, you pointed out, and it's been made rather clear to the Broncos that they expect their quarterback position next year to take a step back. I think reading between the lines, you can see that, and that makes sense. So, Step one is understanding that Russell Wilson's release, because no one's going to trade for him, is going to hamper them. They're about $10 million over the cap. That was helpful, but to have the cap come in at a higher rate than normal, that knocked about $14, 15000000 million off for them. But they're not going to be in a position where they can look at any of the free agents of significance, no Baker Mayfield or anything like that. You're looking at the, the Jameis Winstons, the Sam Darnolds of the world. Those aren't long-term solutions. In either case, it feels like the only long-term solution is simply to go ahead and pick a guy atop the draft and hope for the best. I'm sorry, but the Broncos have lost the benefit of the doubt. I know that some of the faces have changed, but the Broncos promised us in various ways and publicly that Trevor Simeon in Mm -hmm. 2016 would be no worse than Peyton Manning was the previous year. And statistically, he was no worse than Peyton Manning was. In fact, Peyton Manning statistically wasn't very good in 2015. The Broncos weren't as good. They started seven and three and finished two and four. Then we were promised in 2017 that Paxton Lynch would beat out. And yes, we were promised that. We in the media were promised that. The fan base was promised that. Virtually promised that. That Paxton Lynch would beat out Trevor Simeon and be much better than Trevor Simeon. That turned out to be untrue. We were then promised in 2018 that Case Keenum would be better than either Lynch or Simeon had been. That also 
turned out to be untrue. At least Keenum failed to be better than Simeon had been. Right. In 2019, we were promised that Joe Flacco would be better than Case Keenum. That was untrue. And in 2020, we were promised that Drew Locke, even late in 2019, would be better than Joe Flacco. And in fact, the quarterback of the future, taken on the second round by the Denver Broncos. That turned out to be untrue. Then we were promised, and this was the one that actually did come true, that Teddy Bridgewater would be better than Drew Locke, but almost anybody would have been better than Drew Locke. And, you know, all things considered, of all the quarterbacks who have started games for the Broncos since Peyton Manning retired, Teddy Bridgewater was the best one. And what did people do here? both uh, among fans, certain fans, and media people. They acted like he was the worst of the quarterbacks. Right. When, in fact, he was the best. And that's not saying a lot, I admit. But the Broncos were 7-6 and six at the time Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. Mm-hmm. We were then promised and even bought into the idea that Russell Wilson had to be better, not just the Teddy Bridgewater, but that all those quarterbacks, including Peyton Manning in 2015 and maybe Peyton Manning even in 2014, it was acknowledged that maybe in 12 and 13 Manning was better. But Russell Wilson was set to fall in the line of great quarterbacks who come through here, John Elway in the 80s and 90s. Peyton Manning for four years, 2012 through 2015, and then in 2022, Russell Wilson, for years to come, would have the Broncos in championship contention as a surefire Hall of Fame quarterback. And there was a lot of falsehood in that. Although at least this year, Wilson seemed to be serviceable and at times better than serviceable. And now we're asked to believe that whoever ends up as the starting quarterback for the Broncos. And honestly, I have no idea as to the identity of that person. I saw ESPN ran a piece projecting on the 32 starting quarterbacks on opening day next year. Yep. A week one, you know, got the Bronco nod. JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy. God help us all. Well, keep in mind that the athletic, is right. J.J. McCarthy won't even be available at the 12th pick. Oh, yeah. At the rate he's going, he'll be the number one overall pick. I mean, you're he'll talking go about... Ahead, he'll go ahead of uh, Caleb Williams and May and Daniels. I mean, does that show you how quarterback, not quarterback needy, quarterback desperate. Quarterback nutty. Is. Not needy. <laughs> nutty. There's that, too. But the idea that if you don't have the guy, you just got to keep swinging until you get him. And there have been fewer teams that I think have personified that in the last decade than the Denver Broncos. And it's obviously now gone through a couple iterations of who's been in charge of the team, who's been in charge of the personnel decisions, even at the ownership level. But I think it just speaks to how difficult it is to identify that quarterback or to make sure that you coach them up. Because let's look, for example, and I had a bad year this year, but let's look at a Jalen Hurts. 
kind of overlooked by a lot of teams. Eagles took him in the third round. And they re- they didn't immediately say, this guy's going to be our starter. We want to coach him up. I said, by the way, in 2019, when Drew Locke was the toast mm-hmm. of the town in December of 2019, I said, Jalen Hurts right now. Right now, not in a year or two. I remember right you did. Right now, he's better than Drew Locke. And you were right. Oh, that's you're, you're off your rocker. You hate Drew Locke. I didn't even know Drew Locke. But I know what I saw. And I know that going against the Broncos was always the way to go. And that's been true for eight years. now. Going against whatever the Broncos think about virtually everything, <laughs> that's the way to go. That's And I don't care if it's John Elway or Sean Payton or George Payton or General Patton. Yep. And I think... Broncos fans, I'm I am going curi- against I'm curious whatever the Broncos this. put out there is always the way to go. Because what makes you Broncos fans? And I'm asking because I know there are a lot of people that look at Sean Payton and and look at the the record and say, well, Sean Payton can turn this around because he won a championship with the Saints, and all of that is factual. At the same time, we've gone over that 275 games in his career, coach playoffs and regular season. He started one rookie quarterback ever for one game. That would be Ian Book, who you probably are not thinking of right now as one of the league's finest quarterbacks. And Sean Payton he is wasn't the person even better in charge. Than Taysom Hill, who a lot of people think is a tight end anyway. Right. I, The problem I'm running into, Sandy, is that this team is simply stuck. Go ahead and signing the Jameis Winstons of the world isn't going to solve it. Or the Sam Darnolds of the world. It isn't going to solve it. You're going to, even if they have a good year, you're kicking the can down the road. Jared Stidham is not going to solve it. Jared Stidham is a career backup who maybe he's a slightly better than average backup. I, I don't know that he is, but he's a career backup and he's going to make $7 million next year. He's not the long-term answer either. So the only way to find a long-term answer, you can't get one in free agency, and usually that's not where you find the long-term answer anyway because they've already played enough years in the league to hit free agency. It's drafting a guy. And the other challenge with drafting a quarterback is they get it wrong a lot. And I understand that people naturally, immediately go, but Tom Brady, but Tom Brady, okay. But Brock Purdy, okay. And that's great. And we'll see if Purdy's career sustains as Brady's did. But go look at all the quarterbacks picked that started a significant number of games in their career. You're not going to find a lot of them in the sixth and seventh rounds. You just don't. And that's because no. as we, and people, as we because round this that's back, true, we remember the ones who do right. break you remember, you remember the the exceptions of the rule. Right. And as just we like get we remember the, Terrell Davis. Right. Sixth rounder. Right, And in both cases, by the way, both Brady and Davis, somewhat extenuating circumstances that people forget about. Uh, in a in a time frame in which not every college game was on television, Tom Brady, for the majority of his college career, had backed up Brian Greasy, who was the starter right. and gotten more attention, in part because of the family name as well, but a very good quarterback at Michigan. 
Terrell Davis was the backup behind workhorse superstar running back Garrison Hurst in Georgia. So it became difficult to scout, certainly difficult to scout Davis, less so for Brady, who did every year as the, the, the starter. But the overall body of work was still relatively small. Now the it's not hard to find players. We, we've had two guys picked in the top five from North Dakota State, for goodness sake. Carson Wentz and Trey Lance. They're, they're going to find you where they find you. Unfortunately, I, I think in both cases, there are some extenuating circumstances, but I think it's also fair to say that uh, it didn't work out with either one. No, in the end, it didn't work out. And you go around the league and you look at the top quarterbacks in the league at any point in time, and you tell me where they were drafted, and I don't even have to look. I'll tell you first round, okay? Because that's just how it works. Now, yes, is there an exception? Brock, pretty sure there is. And if you look at QBR this year, the number two quarterback in the league in QBR was the much maligned Dak Prescott. Prescott was a fourth rounder. But then you go to Josh Allen. It, it, the, the same draft that Paxton Lynch. Uh, Paxton Lynch. Which I taken, remember actually going on air and pointing out I really would prefer Dak Prescott to Paxton uh, Lynch. Well, uh, still would. Dallas wanted uh, Lynch. Paxton Lynch. At least Jerry Jones did. Jerry Jones did. Stephen Jones. Jerry Jones did. Talked Stephen him down. Stephen Jones talked him off the ledge just like he had done with. Uh, Johnny Manziel. But look at this. From You go one Jerry to two. Jones okay, also. Purdy and Prescott. But then Josh Allen, first rounder. Lamar Jackson, first rounder. Yeah. Justin Herbert, first rounder. Matt Stafford, first overall. Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes, Jordan Love, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Well, Kirk Cousins was Kirk not a first Cousins was not. Jared Goff. That's your top 11. Yeah. That's That's the reality. If you want a top quarterback in this league, and we didn't touch guys that for various reasons didn't put up numbers, Joe Burrow. Right. Potentially Kyler Murray. Guys that were picked, Trevor Lawrence. C.J. Stroud. Who Lamar was Jackson was a first-round pick. Just he barely. was the final pick of the round, but he was a first-round pick. You Two want a quarterback. MVP. The truth is you have first to pick them pick. high because here's the deal. Especially now. You want to know if a guy can play quarterback, you don't find it out at the combine. You find that out, you know, you get you get Zach Wilson. You get Trey Lance. You want to find out if the guy can play quarterback, get a guy that played quarterback. Watch him. And that's why, even though it's been decades, Bill Parcell's idea, if you want to find a guy that have a pretty good chance of success, find a guy that started a lot of college games because he was the best guy at his program and he kept starting games. And if he produced at that point, there's your chance. I don't know if J.J. McCarthy... Is going to be a star. I don't know if Bo Nix is going to be a star. I don't know if Michael Penix is going to be a star. I don't know if Caleb Williams will be or Drake May or Jane Daniels. But I do know that if you want the most likely chance, they'll be a star. Your best bet is to pick them in the first round. It's just that simple. And it's not picking them in the first round that makes them into stars. But there are very few people that can play this position and there are only 32 jobs in the league for starters. And the vast majority of them come from one place. That's where the Broncos have to go. And the problem is they've backed themselves into that corner now. So there's no poker hand to show. They're picking one of these guys. Or they're punting on the season. 
which may indeed, depending on what they do with the salary cap, be a viable strategy. But it's not the one the Broncos country wants to hear. Some would say, even if they take a quarterback at number 12, or they work their way into the second round and take one of their guys in the second round, that you have to start that guy and you're punting on the season. You know, I, I, I just can't concoct a scenario right now by which a rookie starting quarterback would take them anywhere. No, but I do think if you have the right rookie starting quarterback, you need to play him. I think the only way you get better. Oh, they is, have to. The only way they, they have to the only, they take well, at 12. I'm and, just saying. The only I, way to get better is to play. take a quarterback at 12, or even if you trade back, in the first round and take a quarterback in the first round. Play him. You have to play him. There is no competition. There's no other way to get better. You have to play football games. But this is where the Broncos are at. And we should have known with Paxton Lynch. But the thing that fooled us is that actually the best camp that Lynch ever had was the first one he had. Right. And you're thinking and you it would be the worst one, not the best. It was the, the first camp he ever had was his best one and we all thought well boy that's that's pretty good we heard he was raw and he actually wasn't bad and because Simeon was barely mediocre and Sanchez was bad I remember saying and I wasn't alone heck you might as well start Lynch no you might as well play him you might as well see what you've had and that is its own mythology that we'll get into as we go along, too. The idea that sitting behind a guy for years does anything for you. Again, we look at the exceptions to the rule, not the rule. That's the way the Broncos have to approach this. The Colorado Avalanche have a important game tonight. They are four points behind the Dallas Stars. The Stars are in town. Avs do have a game on hand, so they could in many ways come close to drawing with a tie. At least when you think about the games in hand, but it's a big one. You don't want to lose this one to Dallas. Huge game for the Avalanche, especially with the fact the Avalanche now, as it stands, are in third place in the Central. And the second place team, Winnipeg, they have a lot of room to maneuver. We'll explain next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Huge game tonight for the Colorado Avalanche. The Dallas Stars visit 7.30 p.m. puck drop. The standings in the West Conference and the Central Division in particular make this important. Dallas has 79 points. The Avs 75 points. The Avs do have a game in hand on the Stars, so this would be a big one for them. The, the sort of fly in the ointment is the Winnipeg Jets, who have 77 points, have four games in hand on the Stars and three games in hand on the Avs. So in many ways, it's probably best to think about the Jets, who even if they were to just play 500 during those games would still be ahead of both the stars and the abs. They're really the team you have to pay attention to first place. I agree. But one step at a time, you have to try to get the stars here. The abs 22, six and zero at home. That's a 786 point percentage and the best of its type in the national hockey league. So 
if you're the Avs, this is where you feel comfortable. Alexander Georgiev will be in net tonight for the Avalanche. After losing their last couple of games, especially the way they have, Sandy, this game feels really big. It is game number 60 for the Avs at 82. It is only a handful of days before the trade deadline. This feels like a game the Avs really have to find a way to win. The Avs, and this is counterintuitive based on the patterns that have developed this year. The Avs have played Dallas twice. And? In Dallas. Yep. And won twice. And won both. And in one of those games, they were down 3 nothing, and came back to win. Going away. This is the Avs on the road. This is the Avs on the road after they won three in a row to start the year on the road. And going back to last year in the process, set the all-time record for consecutive road wins. This is all came after that. Against Winnipeg, that's the Avs on the road that we've seen for most of the year. They've gotten skunked twice. So there's no question that at least for now, it would seem you'd much rather, with or without home ice, play Dallas in the first round Mm -hmm. than play Winnipeg in the first round if you can't win the division and there just isn't enough time left for the Avalanche. I don't think there is either. Dallas has lost 16 games in regulation. Winnipeg has lost 15. The Avs have lost 19. There isn't enough time to win the division. This isn't last year. The division's better. Dallas is better. Winnipeg is better. Uh, there's a huge drop-off after the top three in the Central all the way down to Nashville and St. Louis and the Wild. Those three teams are separated by only four points, but they're way off the pace. We know, just not in which order, we know the top three teams in the Central are Dallas, Winnipeg, and the Yeah, Ames. because and that's Nashville's the order so far behind. Yeah, Nashville's that, too far yeah. behind. Um this is the only division where you really have that kind of separation. Edmonton and the Kings, uh, Edmonton beat the Kings the other night. They're only two points apart for third place in the Pacific division. Mm-hmm. In the Metro division, you've got Philadelphia with 67 points and Washington with 63. Third place up for grabs. Detroit's four points behind Toronto, and Tampa Bay is only five points behind Toronto for third place in the Atlantic Division. This is the only division where you know who the top three teams are. And actually, this year, if you just take the avalanche against all the other top three teams in each of the four divisions, they're nine nine and one, and that's not bad. I mean, the Nuggets are fourteen and fifteen against the teams with more road wins and home losses in the NBA. That, that that's actually okay because you know what they are against right. against the losers. Basically, twenty four and four. Here's the problem with the Avalanche, though: the Nugget winning percentage against losers is nine fifty seven. The Avalanche percentage against teams that aren't right now in the top three 
in any of the four divisions. It's only 700. That's not good enough. 26, 10, and 4. It is simply not good enough. The Avs are 6, 7, and 1 against the Atlantic Division. Sorry, not even close to being good enough. They are 7, 4, and 1, a little bit better against the Metro, but overall against the East, and the Avs have historically done very well against Eastern Conference teams. Not this year. 13, 11, and 2. 13 wins and 13 losses. Not good enough. Against the West, they're 22, 8, and 3. That's actually over 71% well, success rate. And that's so one of the things it, that bodes it, well for the playoffs, it comes potentially. Down, it bodes well, potentially. But now the Avs are in a spot where the schedule's not terribly easy. I mean, Toronto and Dallas are both good teams, and Toronto came from two goals back to win the other night. Now they get Dallas tonight. And, you know, I imagine Dallas would very much like to finish first. And they're giving up, as you mentioned, three games to Winnipeg. Right. And they're only two four. points ahead of them. Four to four. Winnipeg. Four now because yeah. actually the Avs have the game in hand on Dallas now, mm-hmm. don't they? Because Dallas they played sure in the 60th game yep. last night and, and lost four. in overtime, which was a nice favor of uh, Patrick Waugh coaching the New York Islanders now to have done for the team he formerly coached and obviously starred for. Alexander Georgiev will be in the net, uh, as you could basically say for all of it. Right now he's been in the net 81% of the time, which puts him on pace to be just a couple of games short of Craig Anderson's record of 71 all the way back in 2009-10. That's not what you want to see. But for the Avs, obviously, tonight you have to see what you can get out of Georgiev and then see if you can find a way to get him a break. Uh, Eustace Anadon has been playing, played three of the last eight games, Perhaps Jared Bednar is a little confident. But this is one you have to have for the Avalanche tonight. It's an important game. It will The puck will drop at 730. And, of course, we will talk about it tomorrow when we have the opportunity to get back with you. But it is time for us to depart. Thanks to Ryan Blackburn of Miley Sports for joining us, breaking down the Nuggets and their need to go ahead and uh, manage injury for the rest of the regular season. The, the Nuggets trying to just sort of manipulate their way through it prior to the playoffs. They get the Kings tomorrow. We'll talk more about them as well. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. Thanks to you for listening, whether it was FM, HD, you went to MyLifeSports.com and watched the program, or you did the same thing on the My Life Sports app in which you get everything, the podcast that Ryan puts together, uh, as well as all the programming here, every radio show, and all the terrific writing that we assemble every single day at Mile High Sports. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back in about 22 hours, but you don't have to go anywhere else. Matter of fact, you got to stay because you're already in the right spot. This is My Life Sports.